our conversations. Yeah. is God gave this land to me This brave and ancient land to me And when the morning sun Then I see a land where children can run free. So take my hand and walk this land with me and walk this lovely Good evening and welcome to Yada Yow. I owe you all an apology. I was speaking about how I thought that uh, the presidency of Joe Biden was like weekend at Bernie's uh, and that the man was uh, senile and comatose. Uh, but I, I must be wrong because old Joe Biden, well, he took out the 71-year-old Ayman al-Zawahiri. Zawahiri was uh, al-Qaeda's son, number two. Al-Qaeda has even ceased to be a function. Al-Qaeda wasn't even relevant 22 years ago and has gone from being essentially irrelevant to absolutely not worth it. They don't function. There, there is no Al-Qaeda anymore. And 21 years later, the guy is sitting there on the balcony of, uh, of some stupid apartment and cabal, which, by the way, is hell. So you might as well let him stay there because that's hell. And we took him yeah. out of his misery 21 years later. I just, and we gloat about it. Yes, I know, the, isn't that funny? The guy has to be, within, probably within months of dying of natural causes, a guy that is part of an organization that gloated about flying planes into the World Trade Center and into the Pentagon, tried to fly them into the, uh, the U.S. Capitol, uh, and 3,000 people died, billions of dollars worth of damage. And you gloat that 21 years later, you're able to see, send in a, uh, a missile off of a Predator drone and take the dude down in, uh, in Kabul when he's standing over his balcony looking at the closest thing to hell on earth. Oh, but congratulations, Joe. You should uh, wallow in, uh, in your, uh, your self-righteousness for being able to do that. Uh, there's uh, bad things happening again in, in uh, Israel. Uh, Palestinian Islamic Jihad uh, fired 100 rockets from Gaza into Israel. Israel... Uh, 
for one of the first times in a very long time, actually uh, attacked Gaza. They killed 15 people, including a Palestinian uh, Islamic Jihad uh, leader, uh, because they found one of the top leaders of, uh, of Islamic Jihad uh, in the West Bank, uh, which means he was there planning some major operation against Israel. They discovered the, uh, the plot, um, arrested uh, him, and when they, uh, they recognized what he was planning to do to Israel, they uh, had a, uh, well, if you think this is going to be a good idea, we're going to explain to you in a way that will be unmistakable that it really wasn't. And they, uh, they took out uh, the, uh, the senior leader of, of Islamic Jihad uh, that uh, was planning to perpetrate this terrorist act. Um, but they killed 13 people in the process. I'm sure the world will uh, yell and scream. And uh, Islamic Jihad responded and sent uh, 100 rockets into Israel, uh, none of which even killed a rat. Mm. Uh, speaking of rats, um, did you hear what happened to old Alex Jones? Alex Jones, yeah, you know, the conspiracy theorist Alex Jones. Yeah. Uh, he yeah. has uh, been in and out of, uh, of trial. He has been uh, convicted a, a number of times of, of creating uh, agony uh, towards uh, people. A lot of it's on the, uh, the Sandy Hook uh, school shooting, mm-hmm. where this idiot uh, plays to his idiots in his audience by telling his idiots, uh, that it was all a government plot and government actors and that no one actually died at uh, Sandy Hook, uh, that it was all a government hoax. That is what he says. And so the parents who have who lost children in, uh, at uh, the elementary school uh, actually had to endure Alex Jones listeners threatening to kill them because mm-hmm. they viewed them as being government conspirators and actors when the only conspirator was that fat idiot out of Austin, Texas, uh, who uh, got his jollies out of telling people lies into a microphone and then selling them all sorts of, uh, of end of the world uh, conspiratorial products so that they could uh, drink his uh, toxins and uh, go abuse people. Well, uh, this uh, particular court found him liable for $4.1 million. He tried to preempt them by declaring bankruptcy, which the judge is not buying, uh, and will probably overturn the bankruptcy uh, request. But that is a real scallywag of a, of a human being, the, probably the most vocal advocate for conspiracy theories, and his audience is completely and utterly duped by him. So I guess it couldn't happen to a worse fellow. Uh, speaking mm-hmm. of things happening to worse fellows, uh, monkeypox is, uh, is now being declared a public health emergency in the United States. Now, do you know how many people have gotten monkeypox from having um, uh, heterosexual uh, sex or by uh, touching doorknobs or toilet seats? I cannot imagine as many. Is it, is it a small Zero. number? Monkeypox okay. spread by homosexual uh, sex. Now, and I've said it a billion times. I don't care what somebody does. You want to be homosexual, that's, that's your loss. Uh, but you do whatever you, you know, makes you happy. Uh, but if you've got a, uh, a disease like monkeypox that is only 
uh, spreading uh, because some idiot uh, decided to have uh, uh, bestiality sex with a monkey and that uh, and that it only spreads among people through homosexual intercourse among non-faithful companions. There is such an easy way to solve that that you really don't need to have the government spend billions of dollars to resolve it. Nonetheless, I'm certain uh, that's what uh, we're going to do. I would like to, uh, to return to where we were in uh, Yashaya uh, 43. I think we're 42.8 uh, is uh, where we were. Um, and we're going to pick up uh, towards the end of that chapter. We're going to postpone the 43rd chapter of uh, Yashaya until next week because I get one of the, the uh, treasured opportunities to say I was wrong. And we're going to uh, review just how wrong I was about Jakob. Um, it was um, 10, 11, 12 years ago was my last edit passed through the material. But the last time I actually translated uh, this material about um, how Jakob became Yisrael was probably 18 years ago. And I had come to the conclusion that uh, Jakob was wrestling uh, with uh, Halal ben Shakar, uh, Satan, and that uh, uh, by prevailing over uh, Satan, uh, God had named him Yisrael, as if being named Yisrael was an upgrade to Jakob. I was wrong. And so we're going to go in and we're going to talk a little bit about um, what the Torah actually says about Jacob. But first, uh, here's the end of uh, of Yashia 42. We'll go ahead and finish this chapter 42.8. And it reads, uh, this is obviously God speaking, I am Yahweh. That is my name. Pretty straightforward statement. It's what God has said. From the uh, book of, uh, of Barishit, the first book of the Torah, all the way through Debarim and through every mm-hmm. one of his prophets. It is the clearest, yes. simplest, easiest way to know if, in fact, someone is speaking for Yahweh or is uh, speaking for themselves. If you see Yahweh's name presented throughout the testimony, then the likelihood is that it's from Yahweh. If you do not see Yahweh's name, then there is a 0% chance that it's from Yahweh. So if you read the Christian New Testament and you don't see Yahweh's name mentioned once as opposed to seven times a page, then you know it was not inspired by God. Throw it away. It's counterproductive. It is falsely inferring that it was inspired by God. If you see, if you read the Talmud, and you see uh, what's his name listed as his name, or the Lord, throw it away. It was not inspired by Yahweh. Yahweh is very clear. He loves his name. He wants us to know his name and acknowledge his name. If you do not know his name, you do not know him. He does not know you. Knowing his name is the necessary first step towards uh, reconciliation and towards being part of his family and entering heaven. He has but one name. His name is Yahweh. He goes on to say, My manifestation of power and significant static, my rewarding presence and honorable stature. 
This is Wakubud Ani. My incalculable riches and abundant gifts, my unparalleled reputation and eternal existence. I will not transfer, lo Nathan. I will not bestow or give to another, to an estranged man or God, to anyone who is different in any way, la achar, or my adoration and appreciation, my renown and reputation, my noteworthy and laudable accomplishments to representations of gods. If you are amongst the majority of people that think God doesn't care what you call him so long as you call him, you are a nincompoop. God is not giving his authority, his credibility, his renown, or his name to Jesus. He isn't giving it to Allah. He isn't giving it to Shiva. He isn't giving it to Hashem. Yahweh is the one and only God, and he is the only one who is deserving of these accolades, of this name, of his Torah, of his covenant, of his Mekre, and it is essential that we know and use his name if we want to have a relationship with him or speak for him. To know Yahweh, to engage in a relationship with him, to speak for him, and to be with him, we must know, openly acknowledge, and confidently express his name. And since Judaism precludes the recognition and use of Yahweh, it leads Jews away from God. And since Christianity and Islam have replaced Yahweh's name with Jesus and Allah, the religions are worshiping false gods. These conclusions are irrefutable. It is one of the many reasons Yahweh hates Judaism, hates Christianity, and literally despises a Judaism. <laughs> do not Islam. be fooled. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, do not be fooled. Uh, there is no possibility that the Quran is true, that the New Crestment is true, that the Talmud is true. God hates Islam, Judaism, and Christianity. Yahweh is the utmost when it comes to Kabod. He is more powerful than we can fathom. He is more capable in seven dimensions than we can possibly imagine, stuck as we are in three. His status is optimal. He is creator. He is God. And yet he is offering to reward those who engage in his covenant with the richness of a six-dimensional universe with billions of trillions of stars and solar systems. Moreover, we can trust him to do so because Yahweh is supremely honorable. In spite of the fact that only one in a million is aware of it. His reputation is unparalleled. His existence is proven and eternal. Imagine being God. You created the universe. This, this enormous universe. You created this, 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 this wonderful blue jewel of a planet in the middle of it. And then you conceived life in all of its beauty and interest and complexity. Then you reached out 
to the supreme being that you created, that you created to be like yourself, upright, uh, to be conversant, to be thoughtful, and to be nurturing, to raise a family. Mm-hmm. And that being after you engage with him and her, and that being after you communicate with him and her, after you make enormous personal sacrifices to elevate and enrich the lives of those individuals, they spit in your face. They say, no, 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 we don't want to have a relationship with you. We really prefer these fake gods. Yeah, we don't want to be in a relationship. Religion is, is so much more fun because with religion, we can control people. We can fleece them. We can create gods in our own image. With religion, our gods will love us no matter what we do. So no, 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 we don't want the real one. Can you imagine creating a universe and not one in a million of the beings that you created has any clue who you are? I, not really. It baffles me. You walk with them every day. Yeah. I walk with them every day. Wow. However, be advised. The gifts that God is offering are for family only. There's no exceptions. Those estranged by religion will receive nothing. False gods, no matter how elaborately conceived or popular or in how enormous their edifices may be, they're worthless. You can bow to Allah and pray to Jesus until the bulls come home, but there will be no answer. It is Yahweh alone who deserves our appreciation, the credit for having made us, for having revealed himself to us, for having saved us. The gods men and women have crafted over the millennia in support of their religions, their nations, their ambitions, are all counterproductive illusions. Jesus is no more God than a grasshopper. Allah is a is nothing more than Muhammad's alter ego. For the pathetic twistians, desperate to give their Dionysian gods some semblance of credibility through replacement theology, Yahweh isn't the least bit supportive. God is not sharing his presence, his power with anyone, including the rabbis who have stolen his name and sullied his reputation. Men have made many gods, but there's only one God who made man. So what do you suppose the chances are that the religious institutions with economic schemes to protect revealed Yahweh's testimony in this last statement accurately? Zero. Oh, for, yeah, for that answer, let's, uh, let's consider a sampling. How about okay. the KJV, King James Version, which of course is funny in itself because uh, uh, there was no James when this was allegedly no, King authorized. He yes. was King Iams. And he didn't, by the way, authorize it. All he wanted was a, uh, a translation that uh, would remove the, uh, uh, the commentary <laughs> that said that uh, God never appointed a king outside of Israel, and most of the kings of Israel he didn't even appoint. Uh, and God's not fond of kings. And, of course, King Iams didn't much like that because uh, he uh, 
was insistent uh, on telling everybody, like every king and czar and uh, mm-hmm. Caesar, and they're all Dictator, across the yeah. board. Pharaoh, yeah, all of them. Even Hitler uh, claimed to have divine authority. Well, the KJV reads, I am the Lord. The Lord. That is my name. And my glory I will not to give to another, neither my praise to graven images. Of all of the times to get this wrong, this may have been the worst. Lord isn't in the text. Lord isn't a name. It's a title. Yahweh was written, and that is God's proper designation. Well, surely the New American Standard Bible will be literal. That's what they claim, that they are a literal translation. So surely they got it right. I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not give my glory to another, nor my praise to graven images. The only thing that they did different than the KJV is they wrote Lord with a capital L and lowercase O-R-D, while the King James has Lord in all caps. I don't know if that's a Now, giving substance to the notion that there is a conspiracy to hide the truth, the nilt. That's my favorite. Uh, I mean, when it comes to crafting a god in man's image, you can't build, beat the new living naughty translation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the new living naughty translation. <laughs> yeah, but drop out the end. <laughs> yep. I don't know why they did Very good. Well, the end's Very, just misplaced. Uh, okay. I, I am the Lord. That is my name. I will not give my glory to anyone else nor share my praise with carved idols. So the moral of the story is, you can't trust religious people. So what about those who can actually read Hebrew? The Jewish sages, the rabbis, the professors, the theologians, the scholars. Ah, The JPS reads, I am the Lord, that is my name. And my glory I will not give to another, neither my praise to graven images. It isn't a language barrier nor insufficient education, but instead, defiance. It reads Yahweh. We do not have the authority to take Yahweh's name away and to replace it with the title that he gave to Satan. That's not cool. Not religious, it's not righteous, it's not moral, not ethical. It's foul. It's just foul. There is a myth supported by such hideous translations that the Almighty is going to change his approach. It would be out with the old plan and in with the new one. But that is not what this says, nor is it consistent with any part of this prophecy. The first and foremost things to pay attention to will come to be at the proper time. Therefore, that which is renewing and reaffirming, I am demonstrably announcing and vividly revealing before they unfold so that you may listen. If you have been given this site, this program, 
You've stumbled mm-hmm. on it through a YouTube channel. You've come to it through the Yada Yada website. Somebody has introduced to you. You've done a Google search for God's name for an accurate translation of his testimony. And you are now listening to this. Be aware. The first and foremost things is for you to pay attention. Because at the proper time, God is offering to renew and restore his family. And he is saying all this in hopes that you will hear him and respond appropriately. Many of the first and foremost things on Yahweh's agenda with humankind had been achieved by the time of this writing, which was right around 750 BCE. God had created the universe. He had conceived life. Those were fairly significant events. He had given Adam a nasalma, a conscience, to go along with his nephesh consciousness. He placed him in the Garden of Eden, tangibly demonstrated what he wanted to achieve with the rest of us. He had developed the covenant with Abraham. He had affirmed it with Yishak and Jacob, the latter becoming Yisrael, which is something we will learn a lot about in a moment. God delivered his children from Mitzrayim, the crucibles of religious and political oppression, and revealed his Torah to Moshe en route to the promised land. He had chosen and announced that Dode would be anointed, that Dode would be his son, that he would be his father, and that he would become Yisrael's foremost protector and prophet ultimately establishing the nation, its capital, and its home. And there had already been a succession of prophets. These are among the many things that had already transpired. Enemies would come and go as his people wandered ever further from him. Nonetheless, Yahweh would continue to reveal himself through his prophets through the 5th century BCE. Then after centuries of no interaction, God fulfilled the first four of his Moed Mikre in the fourth millennium in 33 CE, year 4000 Yah. Jews yawned. In fact, the religion of Judaism was conceived at that time to expressly deny what Yahweh had done on Pesach, Matzah, Bakudim, and Shavuot. For the next 2,000 years, there was nothing said or done between God and man. That is why the Talmud is so dry. Why there isn't a single fulfilled prophecy listed in it. Then after a long intermission, just three decades before he will return and fulfill the last of the foremost things on his agenda, Yahweh broke the silence and spoke once again. And it is that conversation on Teruah in 2001 which led to the fulfillment of Yashaya 42. The prophet wanted you to know that you were reading the result because the intent is to Kadash, to reaffirm and restore the relationship with God's people. So the 42nd chapter of Yashaya, Isaiah includes, you should want to sing to Yahweh, 
a renewing and restoring song of adoration and appreciation for him to the extremity of the earth. How many of his people do you think are singing a renewing and restoring song to Yahweh? Infinitesimal number. Yeah. Probably as few as one in a million. And that's why most of the chosen people remain estranged. Well, Kirk, I uh, I said that I wanted to jump ahead. This is uh, nine chapters ahead in the chronology of the translation. Um, we were reading from uh, and sharing the second to last chapter of the most recent book put on the shelf at the Yada Yawa website, yadayah.com, for those who are listening. Um, that's volume eight of uh, Yada Yawa. It's, it's Shana Years, has uh, God's calendar. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's where we, uh, we were with one chapter to finish, and we'll return to that next week. But I am now in the eighth chapter of the rewrite of what will be the eighth volume of Yada Yawa. And it uh, is composed primarily of a translation of Hosha. And Hosha essentially says, sit down and shut up, because what I have to tell you is really, really sad. Exceptionally harsh, extremely disappointing. Israel, you're scum. My people are disgusting. They're religious. They are revolting. Uh, They have separated themselves from God, annoyed God, and are now estranged from God, and they're going to stay that way for a very, very long time. And it's because they have brought this horrendous state of affairs upon themselves. It is the most biting book amongst the prophets. So I'm going to share with you what, uh, how uh, Hosha um, talks to his people, Yisrael, uh, in the 11th chapter of Hosha, beginning with the 12th uh, statement. And we're going to go from there uh, to his uh, comparison between Ephraim and Jacob. And then from there, to how Jacob became synonymous with Yisrael. It is a um, not only an opportunity for me to do something that I think is essential. When we make a mistake, to admit it and to correct it. And second, mm-hmm. to provide an insight so that Yehudim listening to this program might know that nothing much changed from father to son as uh, Jacob uh, had 12 children, and they became Yisrael. This begins, Ephraim. Ephraim means uh, worthless ash, uh, useless carbon, piled up but useless. It's not, there is no way to shape Ephraim uh, in a positive way. It's a very negative uh, name. Ephraim surrounds me with delusional lies and debilitating myths, with mendacious deceptions, none of which conform to reality, 
with sickening hypocrisy. And the family of Yisrael, individuals who strive against and contend with God, they do so with incapacitating and deliberately misleading betrayals of trust. Bahmira, with treacherous delusions, elaborate frauds, and the disappointing intent to beguile. In addition, Yahuda is yet again disassociating from God, even against the set-apart one, who is trustworthy and reliable. And I was in marketing for a lot of years. You can't mm-hmm. spend that. You can't put a pretty picture or a nice caption on that and say, ah, well, he's just a loving and concerned father. No, he is saying that all that he gets from Ephraim, which is 10 of the 12 tribes, is delusional lies and debilitating myths, and Israel, which is all 12 of them, is incapacitating and deliberately misleading betrayals of trust. And then Yahuda, who should be the star of the show, says they're constantly disassociating from God, even though God is trustworthy and reliable. Now, to their credit, the scholars behind the JPS, that would be the Jewish Publication Society, Mm -hmm. they got this one mostly right. Ephraim, I I don't know what Kapathis, but uh, Kapathis seems to be a favorite. Uh, Ephraim Kompathis, me, I don't even know if I'm pronouncing that right, C-O-M-P-A-S-S-E-T-H, but uh, <laughs> Ephraim Kompathis, me. I, I guess that's a word that's supposed to mean surrounds me, but, but surrounds me, me, I guess. Yeah, doesn't, yeah. yeah encompasses me uh, is, is, might be one, but evidently that didn't sound religious enough. So no. Ephraim Kompathis, <laughs> me. So it sounds like yeah. I have a list okay. with yes. lies. Yes, you. Yes. And the house of Israel with deceit. And Judah, you know, why would you call him Judah? I mean, really. The first yeah. J was invented in the uh, 17th century. There was no J sound in any language prior to the 17th century. This was written in the 8th century BCE. 2,500 years, they were Yahuda, and you want to misrepresent them as Judah. Or Jewish... Uh, that's not scholarship. Publishing society. Drop no, the whole that's thing. not scholarship. No. It's not it's ethical, not. it's not moral, it's not intelligent. And Judah... By the way, this is the GPS doing this to themselves. I know this is this is them. Yeah, but yeah, but yeah. they call it, it the Jewish Publication Society. Just to call themselves Jewish proves that this is true, because the name God gave them is Yahud and Yahud, Yahuda. Uh, da and Yahudim in the plural, and mm-hmm. Yahudim means those who are related to Yah, those who are beloved of Yah. To call yourself Jewish is to say, no, I don't want to be related to you. I don't want to be associated. I don't want to be associated with any of that stuff. I want to pick the name Jew because that one was invented in the 17th century. And you get to wear the fancy little star. 
Ephraim compasseth me uh, about with lies, and the house of Israel with deceit, and Judah is yet wayward towards God and toward the Holy One who is faithful. Well, it's a judgment call. I did not capitalize me in that uh, translation of Hosea 11.12. Since Yahweh isn't surrounded by lies, I think this is in Hosea's voice because he was a Israelite. Also, Ammon is about being trustworthy and reliable. It's not about being faithful. But other than those missteps, the JPS uh, reveals uh, who was doing what to whom. The KJV, however, was not even close with their conclusion. They began the same way. Ephraim compasseth me about with lies and the house of Israel with deceit. But Judith yet ruleth with God and is faithful with the saints. You've got to be a Shakespeare and actor to do this, yeah. Uh, There is no basis within Hosea's statement or in reality for ruleth. There's no basis for obeys, faithful, or saints. Or saints, right. Moreover, they completely misrepresented rude, which speaks of disassociating, not ruling or obeying. The fact that Yahudah was also wandering away from God, like Ephraim, and so it is only Yahweh who is being truthful, not Judah. Further, Mm -hmm. there is nothing more despectful than replacing Kodesh set apart with this religious myth of saints. Similarly, the Nilt, New Living Translation, or as I like to say, New Dead, Not a Translation, got this all twisted around. Israel surrounds me with lies and deceit, but Judah still obeys God and is faithful to the Holy One. Well, Israel and Ephraim have been interchangeable since both names were used. For this to have been called a translation, both should have been conveyed. They only picked one. Not only is there no basis for obeys in this statement, there is no such word in Hebrew. Moreover, rude is the opposite of compliance, and therefore, even if there were a connection between obeying and being faithful, the only one who was acting honorably was Yahweh, not Yahudah. And speaking of Yahudah, or Yahweh, neither is holy. Yeah, the closest Hebrew word to holy is choli. It's typically yeah. transliterated as holy, and it means for shit. You know, you are a... No. a Looked it up you're a piece test, of yeah. garbage. Oh, yeah. Uh, uh, choli is as bad a word as they have in the Hebrew language. But you go for it if you want to. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's a bad choice. Judaism would become an elaborate fraud to beguile Jews. This goes on to say, Ephraim, useless dust, associates with befriending and shepherding, attending to, enabling evil. Ephraim accompanies uh, and has interests and vices in common with 
a familiar and decidedly troubling and harmful spirit, Ruach. He pursues and chases after that which blows in and is received from the east all of the time. He continually increases the delusions associated with false gods and the resulting plunder, oppression, and destruction. They establish a covenant with Asher, with the goddess of good fortune and the blessed mother of God, and also that which is fruitful and desirable, therefore is directed toward the religious and political oppressors. Hosha, he liberates 12.1. This is not flattering. Ephraim, synonymous with the Israel, associates with befriending and shepherding, attending to and, and enabling an evil spirit. Well, there is only one notable evil spirit, that is Hasatan. It mm-hmm. isn't a good idea to be shepherding on behalf of and enabling the desires of Satan. But that's what God said. He pursues and chases after that which blows in and is received from the east. We're going to talk about that for a moment. There's only one thing that comes from the east. That is variations of the Babylonian religion. It's in Babylon where mm-hmm. religion and politics first uh, emerged start, together yeah. and were institutionalized. And what God is saying is that, they, that the gods of Judaism in particular are false. And he uses Rabbah, which actually besmirches the rabbis in the process. Mm-hmm. Good he point. Yeah. Promoting those false gods is plundering the people. It is oppressive. It is destructive. It is shod. It's equivalent to subjugating them. They establish a covenant with Asher. Uh, and you might wonder, well, how did that sure. happen? If you look at... Um, the practice of Judaism. When uh, Muhammad was getting his, uh, buying his Talmud reading so he could create his uh, Quran and Yathrib, mm-hmm. uh one of the, uh, the things that he came to do is he said, well, if the Jews are, are celebrating Ashura Day, then we ought to as well. So the single most important day on the uh, Shia calendar each year is Ashura Day. Uh, they celebrate it because the Jews were celebrating it. Well, Jews were very much into celebrating Ashura Day. As a matter of fact, the Jewish calendar begins with the new year on Rosh Hashanah, which will come up soon, as opposed to it being Teruah, and it is a celebration of the Babylonian religion. They have a month mm-hmm. named Tammuz, which is named after the Son of God in the Babylonian oh, yeah. religion. Son of the Son, yeah. Yeah. This is not a good thing. So, yeah, well, his Ruach Kodesh, that apart spirit, and Shabba Malak, orderly arrangement of spiritual messengers and envoys, are not the only spiritual beings in the universe. To say you are spiritual is probably a bad idea because you're likely identifying with Hasatan, the adversary, and his cadre of demons, who are also Ruach. Further, 
it becomes obvious that the spirits Ephraim was associating with were evil because of everything that God has just said of them. In the previous statement, it was revealed that Ephraim was promoting delusional lies, debilitating myths, and mendacious deceptions. He was acting like a complete hypocrite to the detriment of God's people, incapacitating Israel by deliberately misleading them while betraying their trust. Well, that certainly sounds like you're cavorting with an evil spirit. The elaborate fraud promoted by the religious leaders estranged even Yahuda from Yahweh, causing them to stray. Therefore, when we read in that next line, stating that Ephraim was Ra'ah Ruach, we realize that these spirits were evil accomplices, decidedly harmful co-conspirators, misleading shepherds. The Ruach were familiar to Ephraim because they shared the same interests and vices. Deception. That's Satan's hallmark. Religion is his business. Counterfeiting is his methodology. Estrangement from God is always the result. By saying that Ephraim Radoff pursues and chases after Kadam, that which blows in from the east, we know that his religious philosophy originated in Babylon, where it was initially conceived and practiced. Babel is not only where Baal, the Lord, was worshipped as God. It is in Babel, Babylon, that the preponderance of the people were confused and confounded by intermixing political and religious myths while commingling truth and lies. Even the English term Bible comes from Babel, and it means with the Lord. The Israelites, however, were not content to simply adopt what they received from the East. They embellished it. They augmented the religion, ultimately offering their Babylonian Talmud and their spiritualist Zohar for Kabbalah. False gods would be worshipped by those who would reject Yahweh. And as a result, the people were oppressed, they were plundered, they were subjugated, they were devastated. For Israel, their alternative covenant would be as impoverishing as it would be for Christianity. And that is why it is with Asher, the goddess, whose Mythology was incorporated wholesale into Christianity, the religion most responsible for oppressing Jews. Yes, Asher is the basis of Easter. She was impregnated on, uh, on Easter so mm-hmm. that nine months later, on the winter solstice, on Christmas, she could give birth mm-hmm. to the son of the sun. She is the mother of God, the queen of heaven, the Madonna and child that uh, sits at the center of the Catholic religion. All that was desirable, enabling, anointing, or promoted personal growth was forfeited and directed elsewhere. So this is the passage that led me to reevaluate mm-hmm. what I had thought about Jacob. Yahweh okay. has a dispute against Yahudah. So Jacob, which means I supplant. Jacob, 
I am the one who replaces and supersedes by circumventing and overreaching using treacherous means. I will accept the rewards and suffer the consequences of being deceitfully insidious and substituting myself for another while seeking acclaim, wealth, and power, being slippery and sly in the process because I am the heel. It is from Ani, which means me, myself, and I are a cob to receive the benefits or endure the ramifications of outmaneuvering and encroaching by perniciously and fraudulently assailing. He will hold accountable Jacob according to his ways and consistent with his deeds and practices. Hosea 12.2 So obviously the Christian theologians responsible for the King James Version and the New Living Translation were wrong in their assessment of Yehuda and their rendering of the previous statement. But why didn't they go back and correct their mistake after reading this? Obviously, Yehuda is in conflict with Yahweh, and the grievance is so significant in that God has vowed to hold them accountable for mm-hmm. what they have done. Just read the next statement, and you know your translation is wrong. They haven't the honor to do what we're doing, the character to do what we're doing. When you make a mistake, which we all do, that's part of, yes. of being human. Cool. But when you make a mistake, go say, hey, I was wrong. But, you know, we're going to learn something because now we get to go back and analyze it, figure out how we made that mistake and correct it and learn something new in the process. Just as Ephraim is being used interchangeably with Yisrael, so too is Jacob. The distinction is that while Ephraim always excludes Yahuda and Benjamin, Yisrael can include or exclude them depending on the context. And Jacob mm-hmm. includes them all. Since God is fair, he will hold his people accountable for corrupting his message, harming his family, and removing his name from his Torah and prophets. Far more Yisraelites will be judged and condemned than granted access to the covenant. So now that the battle lines between good and evil have been drawn, let's take a moment and examine how Yaakov became known as Yisrael. Now for that, we turn to Barishi 32, where we find Yaakov, who having met with Yahweh's Malak spiritual envoys, sends them off to reestablish his relationship with his brother Esau, who he fears and is trying to placate because of the way that he has treated him in the past. Before we begin, you may have noticed that the preceding statement contained, I'm sure you noticed, a significantly harsher definition of Jacob. While this one is accurate and deserved as the father of the children of Israel and as a recipient of the covenant's blessings, Quite frankly, I had been reluctant to use it. Every time I tried to define 
Jakob, you know, because uh, I always put in a parenthetical, okay, Jakob, and, you know, it's based upon Ani and Akab, and, okay, so what mm-hmm. does it mean? I kept on saying, okay, what can I write here that isn't awful? Because when you look at Akeb, every definition of Akeb is awful. And, you know, this is, this is the father of Yisrael. Yeah. It's really uncomfortable to say his name is, around. I'm a jerk. Yeah. Uh, that's tough to do. Uh, but when you listen to what I'm going to share with you, yeah, it's not so tough anymore. So before we uh, commence here, I, I, it, it's, I want you to appreciate I've been reluctant to do it. But now in this context, and in the light of where God is about to take us, I think it is yeah. completely justified. I think it is necessary. My wife has known it for a long time. She has uh, been hounding me. She says, you know, you, you aren't treating this man as uh, he deserves to be treated. Uh, but, you know, boy, we, we, we dug into what really occurred in the, uh, in the Garden of Eden. We found that... Mm-hmm. Adam had behaved no badly, as had Chawa, yeah. and Chawa took a grudge out of it, and, uh, and we had to tell the truth. This is what really yeah. happened. And then we, we turned to Abraham, and oh my goodness, this, the man is pimping yeah, Sarah out, lying to people, and, and pimping his wife out for, for riches. For, yeah. Uh, I was bothered by the fact he wasn't very smart based upon his comments but oh my god what a terrible thing to do and you know my my favorite character by far is dode and there are some times in dode's life where he really does some dumb stuff and it's tough to write about somebody that you admire saying that even moshe in the last part of his life now moshe to his credit uh Moshe endured the children of Israel for on and off for 80 years. Uh, and <laughs> so in 40 of those years, he was herding uh, jackasses really across the desert. God is doing every imaginable thing for them, and they're constantly telling God, no, we'd rather have died back there. We want to go back to Egypt. What in the hell did you do to drag us out here for? We don't want to be with you anymore. We don't listen to you anymore. We don't like you. Just leave us alone. Take us back to uh, where we were and let us die. Uh, you know, so when Moshe has a couple of slip-ups later in his life, I don't know how he made it that far. Uh, but Jacob. Should have oh, hit the rock and drowned him. Oh, come on, Jacob. Oh, my. Okay. So, so as they come down to Ani, me, myself, and I, and Akab, Jacob conveys I supplant because I am the one who replaces and supersedes by circumventing and by overreaching using treacherous means. I will accept the awards, boy, does he ever, and suffer the consequences yeah. of being deceitful and insidious in substituting myself for another while seeking acclaim, wealth, and power. My approach could be considered slippery and sly because I am the heel. Akab means to receive the benefits or endure the ramifications of outmaneuvering and encroaching by perniciously and fraudulently assailing the rights of others. So as we pick up the story of how Jacob became Yisrael and to 
embody Israel, it is readily apparent that he has prospered. Two wives, 11 children, lots of workers, and large herds. And yet he is quaking in his sandals as he begs Yahweh for help by reminding God of the promise he believes Yahweh had made to him one night while he was sleeping. However, since God does not respond to his pleas for help, Jacob goes ahead with his plan to appease his brother. And yet, based upon the way Jacob had cheated and robbed Esau in the past, he decides to hide his family and the remainder of his flocks from his brother because he believes that Esau would rather attack him and rob him than forgive him. So, Jacob, I supplant. I am the one who replaces and circumcedes by circumventing. Was left by himself. Now, that is a very, very important introduction. No joke. There's only one verb here. One name and one verb. Jacob was left by himself. Then he wrestled. Wa'akab. He struggled, grappling, while seeking to apply his leverage over. And as ash and dust, where'd you hear that, attempted to float away. Mm-hmm from the individual within him until the darkness had been lifted away and withdrawn and there was the dawning of a new day with increasing light. Allah ha shakar. Barashif in the beginning, Genesis thirty-two twenty-four. We are never told the identity of the ish, the individual. But based upon what preceded this encounter and what follows, it is evident that Jacob was wrestling with himself. He had some serious issues which had to be resolved, and the impending encounter with his brother was the catalyst for facing them. Jacob was praying to God rather than listening to him. He was trying to reacquaint himself with and appease someone Yahweh hated repeatedly referring to Esau as my Lord and to himself as his servant. And unlike Moshe endured after him, he had all the courage of a panic rabbit. He was preoccupied with being blessed as opposed to being a benefit to others. He was insecure and he was self-absorbed. He was desperate for the approval and forgiveness of a family member who by all rights should have hated him. Since we are told explicitly that Jacob was left by himself, it is apparent that he was struggling with his own issues, with being a man, Mm -hmm. with being a husband, a father, a shepherd, an employer, and most of all, being the patriarch of the covenant. Until he could overcome his fears, his doubts, his need to be served rather than serving, and his propensity to be dishonest and duplicitous, he was of no use to anyone. 
The verb used in this statement, akav, means to grapple with someone. It speaks of trying to use uh, leverage over another. The one struggling sees some aspect of themselves as infinitesimal and wants it to float away. This is certainly more indicative of a fight against our darker nature than a sane approach to contending with God. Since Jacob was alone, the Ish persona was an unwanted aspect of his character. And in this regard, M. Hugh means within him or against him. Here, Allah was scribed as a verbal noun. It is indicative of the rising and ascending or mm -hmm. lifting off and taking away and can also be translated as to withdraw or remove. It serves to convey Jacob's desire to eliminate these under, undesirable aspects of his personality. This is where I got in trouble previously. It was a long, long time ago, almost 18 years ago, that I translated this passage. Learned a lot since then. As a verb and as a noun, hashakar speaks of many things, including trying to ward off darkness while seeking to pursue the light. In addition to establishing an enlightened relationship for a new day. While it can convey dawn or daybreak, had that been the intent, Bokor, morning, would have been a better, less provocative choice. And that is because Yahweh, when disassociating the Baba, or when, when disclosing, I should say, the Babylonian origins of Satan, uh, as he does in the 14th chapter of Isaiah, reveals that Helel ben Shakar is seeking to be seen as God, as more important than Yahweh. However, since Shakar is not ascending, and Jacob would not be seeking his approval, our best option is to see Jacob trying to, Allah, mitigate the influence of Satan and that Satan's had on the world surrounding him and even as Hashakar has stunted his own growth. The text goes on to read. So when he perceived that he could not prevail against himself, Ra'aki, he saw and considered that, he could not accomplish what he sought to overcome to achieve his influence over himself, lo yakol lahu. He inflicted pain by striking his genitals with an open hand. He inflicted pain is from Naga. He made contact by touching rather violently and thus grabbing Ba-Kaf Yarek-Hu with the palm or hollow of the hand against his loins, hip, thigh, or side. Jacob's isoplants, open hand upon his genitals, Ba-Kaf Yerek-Hu, caused them to be wrenched and sprained, twisted out of place and dislocated as he wrestled and struggled against himself. Ba-Akak, Hugh, M, Hugh with him grappling with himself while seeking to apply his leverage over what he had become so that his less significant nature would float away. 
Barishith, Genesis 32.25. Now, I guarantee you, that does not read like you expected. No. No. Wow. But that is the primary definition of cough is the open hand. Naga is to strike, to violently touch and grab. And Yarek, sorry folks, the word means genitals. Yes, genitals, yes. The word means. And it's going to turn out to be a very appropriate thing to do. All right, let's begin. What happens there on the man? The testes, they synthesize testosterone. That is the hormone that is essential for a man if he is to act like one. It plays an important role in strengthening our bones so that we can stand upright. It assists in building muscle mass and thus increasing strength so we have the ability to defend those we love and to fight for what is right. Testosterone also supports our bodies through the production of red blood cells, making us less susceptible to disease. It can also minimize fat content and increase our metabolism so that we are more active and engaged. And of course, in addition to testosterone, increasing the male sex drive, it is responsible for sperm production, something which is essential to being the father of a great nation. In the modern vernacular, Jacob needed to grow some cojones. Therefore, in this battle against the worst of his nature, he grabbed hold of his as if to say, I got him and I need to start using him. But if you find this too graphic, a little too offensive, even sexist, then he struck his side or hip rather than his loins. And then he said, you should want to be released and sent away from me. Because by lifting away and withdrawing the darkness, there will be the dawning of an enlightening new day. Allah HaShakar. However, he went on to say, I will not send you away. I will not dispatch you, letting you go, unless accompanied by you commending me, praising me. You showing favoritism toward me, acknowledging that I am better and more worthy, and thereby blessing me. There was a debilitating shadow hanging over Jacob, causing him to tremble in the darkness. And while he wanted to come out of the shadows and shed his darker nature, insecurity craves praise. So Jacob needs the worst of himself to applaud that which is left in anticipation there will be a better version of himself emerging into the light of this new day. Well, there would be no blessing. Just rebranding. A name that meant I supplant in an insidious way and which therefore spoke of him defrauding his brother out of his birthright, mm-hmm. yes. would be changed to one equally duplicitous, Israel, to contend against or endure with God. His internal struggles 
were not resolved. They became bigger. Jacob would become characteristic of Yisrael. And while that can be good, it seldom was in practice. So we asked of him, what is your name? How are you known and perceived? What's your reputation? And he replied, Jacob, I supplant. I am the one who replaces and supersedes. I circumvent and overreach. I'm treacherous. It was accurate, albeit unflattering, as a moniker. From Ani and Akab, Jacob's name revealed that uh, he would receive the benefits and suffer the consequences of circumventing and overreaching, being held to account for what he had done. He had deceived his brother and his father in pursuit of wealth and acclaim. He was uncomfortable wearing this badge and wanted the rebranded version of himself to bear a different name, that of the nation he had fathered. It is as if Jacob craved a confirmation of the blessing he perceived Yahweh had offered relative to the covenant to such an extent that he chose to embody his fulfillment. The impetus had been his guilt, his recognition that he had taken what belonged to his brother, and now he wanted his brother to forgive him and to accept him. Alone in the darkness, Fearful that Esau would rob and kill him for what he had done, Jacob wanted to remove the moniker which associated him with these things, which announced what he had done. So he created a new identity by reaching into the past. His grandfather, Abraham, was a bit of a scallywag, having pimped out his wife, Sarah, on two occasions to enrich himself, since neither Leah nor Rachel uh, would have been impressed with that choice, the individual who was <clears throat> struggling to become a man chose the name of the most important woman in the history of humankind, Sarah. He would become Ish Sarah El, Yisrael. The individual who would emerge from this bout with himself would be Sarah, would engage and endure with God. The man who had to check to verify if he had a pair chose to name himself after the woman with the cojones to laugh in God's face and actually endear herself to him in the process. I read that today. I doesn't come any better. I read that verse. Wow. So, That's and, interesting. You know, and all the characters that God has in his story, the one who just is constantly a good egg, yeah. doing the right things yeah. for the wrong, it's Sarah. It's always yeah. been Sarah. Sarah's much better than Abraham. That's just the truth of the matter. <laughs> he picked Sarah. The man with, had to check to see if he had a pair, chose a woman's name. That's rich. I like it. It's just the truth. He said, he said to himself, Lo, Jacob, not a heel who encroaches. Your name and reputation should now be spoken by contrast as Israel, 
an individual who either engages and endures with God or contends against the Almighty. This is because even as you have struggled with God, you will engage and endure with the Almighty. Just in case you think my definition of Yisrael is a reach, Yahweh says, Sarah M. Elohim. <laughs> Yisrael, folks. This is because even as you have struggled with God, you will engage and endure with the Almighty, Sarah M. Elohim, and with human nature, Ba'em Ish, and against the individual persona. And you have become more capable, gaining understanding and, and confidence in the process. Barashith in the beginning, Genesis 32:28. For the Ish individual, haunted by his past and struggling with his future identity, his legacy would be known as Sarah M. Elohim. He and his descendants would be afforded the opportunity to prevail with God. Those who did not contend with him would be blessed as had been Sarah, the mother of the covenant. Now you're soon going to notice when uh, Jacob asked his alter ego to identify himself, uh, his departing insecurities responded with, why would you ask? You can't figure this out, pal? You're here by yourself. Who do you think I am? But uh, it's paraphrasing. Then Jacob, I supplant, inquired. So please speak, announcing in an informative way your name. But he replied, why would you ask that? Why are you inquiring about my name? So then and there, he provided some encouragement, saying some nice and commendable things about him, guess you. Barashith in the beginning, Genesis 32:29. Now throughout this endeavor, from the very beginning, for 21 years now in county, we have been committed to going where Yahweh's words lead. When he insinuated that there were issues with Adam and Chawa, we addressed them. When it became apparent that Abraham was neither particularly bright nor ethical, we did not sweep this narrative under the sands of time. We have honestly addressed the failings of the most remarkable of men, including Moshe and Dod. We have dealt with the issues of Yisrael as they have been presented to us. And now we are confronting Jacob's struggle to become a man, to live down one name, and live up to the potential of another. Now, Kirk, I understand. Uh, you could be among them. Sure. But there are going to be some who say, I do not like this interpretation of events. But what's the alternative? It actually explains things to me. Clearly, yeah. yeah, it does. It, it, it pulls. What it does is to say that Yisrael was fathered by a man who was no different than what they became. Clearly, Jacob was haunted by what he had done to his father and to his brother. He was so plagued by his personal insecurities 
that they had influenced his thinking and affected his relationship with Yah. And during the bout, he was alone, dealing with the issues which had caused him to go into hiding. You know, just one episode, and, and Yaakov's life has always bugged me. You know, he, uh, he went up uh, to one of those ungodly places on earth, uh, Charon, Heron, and uh, mm-hmm. he said, okay, that's, that's the one that I want. And the dad says, oh, yeah, I'll give it to you. You, uh, you become essentially an indentured, an, an indentured servant to me for the next X number of years, and, and I'll give her to you. And, you know, I would have said at that point, you know, pal, that and all, but you know, I really don't like this idea of being your slave for that period of time. I'm simply going to ask her if she wants to be my wife, and if she says yes, great. Mm-hmm. So anyway, he does the, uh, the slave thing. He, uh, he becomes the indentured mm-hmm. servant and works for a dear old dad. Who is uh, who is using his daughter as uh, as a uh, as compensation? Sure. If the guy produces for me, I'll give you my my daughter. What the hell? I don't care about her. That's all about what's it's bringing me. That's the reason why that's not a guy that I would care to do a deal with. Now he uh, but he gets Leah, the older daughter, not Rachel, uh-huh. the one that he thought was hot, and. Leah is the one that's got her act together, right? And Leah is is darn near the perfect woman. But yep. when he gets the one that he didn't want, who was actually the better woman, and didn't get the uh, hottie that he thought he was going to get, rather than telling dear old dad, hey, man, I'm taking both of them, and I'm out of here. You defrauded me. That's what a man with cojones would do. Nope. He doubled down on the amount of being an indentured servant. And Uh all of the time, the way, A, that he treated Leah, who was superior to Rachel in every way. Uh, Maybe Rachel had better legs or something, but the fact is, Mm -hmm. in every other way, Leah is better in the ways that matter. And uh, the way that he dealt with the dad trying to turn his daughters into merchandise – I thought that that's just not manly. Uh, that's not mm-hmm. a man of character. And then the uh, uh, and then saying, "All right, uh, I'm going to have uh, sex too with uh, the uh, their maids," which to me is akin to rape. Uh, you know, yeah. They're, yeah, they're they have free. no choice. They have no free will. No. No. So uh, that's uh, that's troubling to me as well. So uh, just you know, just an incident that that helps pull it all together. Nonetheless, mm-hmm. I understand that there will be many who do not like this interpretation. Um, but I don't see any other way to present what we have just read. You know, what was he doing there all alone? Obviously, dealing with the issues which had caused him to go into hiding. Mm-hmm. He really thought his brother had come to rob him and kill him. He had yeah. pleaded with God for all sorts of, God do this for me, God do that for me, praying to God, and God wasn't having any part of it. There was no response from Yahweh. So during this moment of introspection in the darkness, Jacob was not wrestling with Shakar as I had once thought. Nor was he contending with God. 
So if we are to be honest with the script, what I've shared with you is where the narrative leads. Moreover, it is consistent with the portraits painted of the other characters in Yahweh's unfolding story. Each individual is unique. They're gifted and they're challenged, as are we all. God did not choose perfect individuals, rather real ones. And since he is responsible for, for, for providing this narrative, and he gave it to Moshe and asked him to incorporate these specific details into his Torah, God wants us to accept the realization that he likes to work through individuals like Jacob, those whose strengths and weaknesses allow him to prove that he can make the best of a bad situation. In this way, we witness Yahweh's ability to overcome even the worst of us to make the best of us. And equally important, when we witness God's unfolding story with a cast of characters not dissimilar from you and me, we're invited to see ourselves becoming part of his unfolding story. Heck, Kirk, even I can live up to, uh, to the standards set by Jakob. Not that that's saying much. Returning to the scrutiny of the world around him, Jakob, anyone to see his vulnerabilities, to recognize that he had been battling with himself or that he had chosen his new name. So he would say that he had been wrestling with God and hmm. not only prevailed, but lived to recount his story from his perspective. So then, Jakob, I supplant, I circumvent, continually and actually called the name of the place Paniel, turning to God and facing the Almighty. Facing God, yeah. This is because I have seen God face to face and my soul has been spared. Huh? Okay, we okay. call that delusional. <laughs> nice spin. No doubt, Go spin. this is yeah. what Jacob yeah. chose to call this dark chapter in his life. But it was his poor choices, those which were in opposition to the will of God that had led to his current predicament. He was no more wrestling with God than his life was spared after confronting him. He was cowering in fear of Esau, not Yahweh. If we are to believe that Jacob's spin on these events, how is it then that a man can fight with God and prevail over him? This man, of all men, one does not prevail with God by attacking him. That is not the way to God's heart. <laughs> you can't out wrestle him. to heaven Come is on. not open with a catapult hmm. or a battering ram. You do not endear yourself to God by slapping him in the face. God not is, is not attracted to cowards. So how is it that a man can solicit Yahweh's blessings and his support for something he wants, something that God has expressly said that he does not want, and when he 
hears nothing from Yahweh, claim that the unspecified blessings from the unindividual, unidentified individual were somehow divine. And if it had been Yahweh who changed his name, why didn't Jacob embrace it after emerging mm -hmm. victorious? Good question. The reality of these events is that Yahweh hated Esau, and he wanted him as far away from Jacob, Yisrael, and the Bereth covenant as possible. Jacob's desire for forgiveness for having lied to his father and cheated his brother was misdirected. And therein is the purpose of the story. Jacob would be a model for Yisrael. The best and worst of both were now on display. The story of how Jacob deceived Yishak, it's recounted in Barashith, Genesis 27. Therein, Esau is appraised by Jacob, or Yishak, I'm sorry, his father, mm -hmm. of what Jacob has done to uh, mislead his father and then defraud him. He said, this is Yishak speaking. Your brother came dishonestly, deceptively, and treacherously with the intent to betray. He has grasped hold of, accepted, and taken away your blessing. So he responded, was he not rightly pronounced and named Jacob, I supplant? I am the one who replaces and supersedes, for he has grasped my heel to restrain and circumvent me, ultimately supplanting me these two times. He took away my birthright, and now, behold, he has taken my blessing. Barashith, Genesis 27:36. Based upon the assessment of his father and his brother, I suppose my pronouncements regarding the deficiencies in Jacob's character are rather mild. Certainly, he had issues. Nonetheless, he may have been the best draw in a lousy deck. When we consider the flaws mm -hmm. manifest among the characters that Yahweh worked with, I... Uh, it makes me shake my head and say, you know, I'm sad. But that's the best we could offer. Anyway, after the blessings, the uh, brothers went off in search of brides. Isha went to reconnect with Ishmael and promptly claimed his daughters, while Jacob headed to Haran, which uh, would have been uh, a month away on foot. The text reads, Then Jacob, I supplant, withdrew from Beersheba, the well of seven promises, and walked to Cheron to be scorched by the sun. He was stricken, falling down, and he pled for assistance within that place, and he stayed through the night there because the sun had gone. He selected and obtained from the stones of that place one he could put as a headrest and pillow. And he lay down in that place. And he started dreaming. 
and behold, livening the narrative and changing the scene. A ladder standing prominently on the earth, and the top touched the heavens. Now, enhancing the narrative, the messengers of God were ascending and descending with it. Well, we are not told the extent of the accident or how long our troubled journeyman pled for help after his fall. We know that he hit his head and became delusional. He even channeled his inner Babylonian and Muhammad with the stairway to heaven and choosing one of the stones to ultimately idolize. Chiron, scorched by the sun, was not a desirable destination, but he was in no better place with his head cradled on the rock. Jacob was hallucinating. Before his wondering eyes should appear, behold, Yahweh stood above or on it, and he said, I am Yahweh, the God of Abraham, your father, and also the God of Yishak. I want to finish this statement. We'll continue to mm-hmm. record for those who listen to the archives, which is about 99% of the listenership to this program, uh, but uh-huh. it will no longer be broadcasting as of about now. So behold, Yahweh stood either above it or on it, and he said, I am Yahweh, the God who dangles from ladders, no, the God of Abraham, your father, and also the God of Yishak. The land which you lie upon, it to you I will give it, and also to your descendants. Okay, let's be real. There is no heavenly ladder. God does not stand above this non-existent device. And should one exist, a spiritual being would not use it. Moreover, the only reason to address someone who is asleep is to convey a message without having to interact with them. Obviously, Abraham was not Jacob's father. But since Yishak was exceedingly disappointed in him for having deliberately deceived him, Jacob deprived Yishak of the title. Not unlike what Yisrael has done with Yahweh. Wow, good note. Since he was headed to Tehran, and since it was the lone destination listed, be aware it was not given to Jacob, to Abraham or Israel. It is north of the Euphrates River and present-day Turkey. It was Abraham and Sarai's, Abram's at that time, and Sarai's final sleepover en route to the Promised Land. And while the testimony indicates that Jacob was in La-La Land and later insinuates that he fell down, go boom, in Bethel, that scenario was no better. Not only is Bethel not a one-day journey into night from Beersheba, the place Mm -hmm. was the twilight zone where Israel became religious and repugnant. If we were to name the least desirable places to inherit after Sodom, Chiron and Bethel would be high on the list. Nevertheless, he wants us to believe that God told him, it shall be that your offspring and the seeds that you sow will be the, like the dust of the earth. You will be spread out and scattered 
to the sea in the west, to the sunrise in the east, to the treasures in the north, and to the Negev in the south. And through you and the seeds you sow through your offspring, every coworker, regardless of race, as a contributor from any socioeconomic group who becomes part of the family and is properly grounded, will be blessed with wonderful and uplifting benefits and favorable circumstances. Well, if you're listening, that isn't much of a blessing. The last thing any one of us should be ascribing to is returning to dust. And even if this is a reference to a large number rather than individual significance, most of his descendants were indeed worthless. The Israelites were spread around the globe, but that was a consequence of rejecting Yahweh, such that the scattering is also a curse rather than a benefit. Mm-hmm. Moreover, the conditions placed upon the scope of the blessing establish requirements which exceed those for the covenant itself. Yahweh here is soliciting workers, those who will engage to make life better for him and for his family, rather than those looking for a free ride. He does not care about the individual standing in society, whether that be politically or economically, but is insistent that we be grounded in reality. Even what follows has Yahweh doing what we are doing, which is scrutinizing Jacob. And behold, I am with you, and I will watch over you, closely scrutinizing you, and whatever or wherever, for the benefit of the relationship, you go. Then I will bring you back to this ground, to the realm of Adam. For I will not abandon you until, having shown the way to the benefits of the relationship through the restoring testimony and eternal witness, the conditions are met whereby I have done what I have stated to you, therefore promised regarding the relationship. Then Yahweh woke up. (laughs) No. Then Yaakov woke up. From his sleep. I don't even want to say the name anymore. Then Yaakov woke up from his sleep. Oh, boy was dreaming. He said, surely and unexpectedly, there is Yahweh in this place, and I myself was unaware. (laughs) Yeah, okay. And so he was neither fearful nor respectful and said, how frightening or awesome is this place? Is this not Surely, perhaps, the house of God and the gate of the heavens. Genesis 28, 17. Well, the answer is no, of course, but the remnant of Israel will return to the realm of Adam. God's intent is to bring us back home to the garden. And so, mm-hmm. uh, should this be in Yahweh's voice, He will never abandon his children. His goal has always been to lavish those who choose his covenant with many benefits. But the points Jacob was making, the answer is is no to each of those questions. Jacob posed uh, when he woke up from his dream. Yahweh Mm -hmm. was not hanging around Bethel. It was a religious hellhole. 
and the gateway to God, indeed the house of God, are both in Jerusalem above Moriah. Bethel is up 80 miles north of Beersheba, and thus a three or four day journey by foot. Jacob could have not made it this far by sunset. So while we do not know where he was, he did not know either. And the story only gets worse. Hmm. So in the early morning, Jacob, I supplant, grabbed hold of the stone which he had set as his headrest, and then he appointed and placed it upon a stone pillar, and he poured oil on top of it. And he called the name of the place Bethel, house of God. But nevertheless, Lutz was the name of the city at first. Then Jacob, I supplant, made a vow, promising by saying, if on the condition God will be with me and will pay attention to me, watching over and scrutinizing me in this way, wherever I go and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear, and I return satisfied and reconciled to my father's household, then Yahweh will be for me as God. And this stone, which I have placed for a sacred memorial pillar, will become God's home. Further, everything that you give to me, I will be sufficiently enriched to set aside a tenth of it to you. Yuck! In spite of what Muslims believe, stones are not gods. Black, pillow-shaped, or otherwise. Anointing a stone to commemorate a dream is a horrible idea. Stones are stones Mm -hmm. and nothing more. This place was not nor will ever be the house of God. There is And if there was a city named Lutz, it has never been located and would have been either Canaanite or Hittite. What's that? You know who who claims that stone? Hmm. (laughs) The English is the one under the throne where the name of the thing, they claim that stone, that's where it came from. Isn't that amazing? Wow. So. Good for them. Canaanite and Hittite town would have been home to pagan gods. Moreover, if there Uh was a city, what was he doing sleeping on rocks? Jacob's vow is especially uh, indicting. If God does this, that, and the other thing for me, and I am completely satisfied and sufficiently enriched, I will give him back a tenth of what he has given me. Jacob didn't bother to, to say, I'll be observant, but instead demanded that God observe him. He was not offering to feed the hungry or clothe the poor or even produce something worthwhile, but instead to be fed, to be clothed by his personal chef and butler. Even worse, his recognition of Yahweh as God was contingent upon him being reconciled with his father whom he had deliberately defrauded. Jacob needed to be shalom, satisfied, prosperous, 
healthy, safe, blessed, and at peace for him to accept that Yahweh was God. He even needed his stupid anointing of a stone to be accepted as God's house. This leads to a decidedly one-sided relationship. He proposed, should I be sufficiently enriched, I will consider returning a tenth of what you give me, so long as you meet every other condition on my list. Wow. Before we rejoin Hosha, uh, there is yet another bleak portrayal of Jacob that we should consider. It is found in Yashaya 41.14, where once again we find Yahweh making the best of a bad situation. Do not be afraid, Jacob, you worm, you maggot. People of Israel, I will help you. Prophetically announces Yahweh, your Redeemer who will deliver you is the set-apart one who is separate and distinct from Israel. Oh, well, Yaakov may have acted like a worm and Israel a maggot. They remain Yahweh's creepy crawlers. So in spite of what they have done to antagonize God, he still intends to redeem the willing. Wow. Moral of the story, Kirk, is that Jacob was bad, but Yah was capable of accomplishing wonderful things with impoverished individuals. Look at us. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, perfect. We, We do not have to be perfect or exemplary for God to use us effectively. Not in fact, this whole program is on me being a dunderhead and rendering this wrong nearly 20 years ago. Yep. And we move forward to it because I have conveyed inaccurate information about what happened that night in that dark cave. So not only is Yahweh willing to adopt, empower, and enrich us, he obviously doesn't expect much in return. Now, oh, for ya. Continuing it is, but I, <laughs> Sorry, I'm going to assume that he has a sense of humor. He told us this story. Yeah, yeah. Continu- I know, I know. Continuing to speak of Jacob, Hosha reveals that what started out poorly evolved into an even more contentious relationship. And by doing so within the context of berating Yisrael for being dishonest and disloyal, unreceptive and annoying, it's obvious that Jacob and Yisrael became interchangeable because they were indistinguishable. Like father, mm-hmm. like sons. In the womb, he betrayed and supplanted his brother. Yeah. He was treacherous in deceiving and restraining his brother, seeking to enjoy the rewards and avoid the consequences of insidiously cheating his kin and replace them, deceitfully substituting himself to gain a claim, wealth and power by fraudulently outmaneuvering and encroaching. Akab et Ak. And as he grew older, as he became richer and more powerful, when the firstborn benefits and his genital prowess and, prowess and his abundant wealth were accumulated, 
is from Owen, by the way, to be wickedly troublesome and afflicted with a propensity to be deceitful, vain, evil, idolatrous, and uh, unrighteous. Uh, That's not a good thing. This this is not a compliment. He was ever more contentious with God, struggling in opposition to the Almighty. Sarah F. Elohim, he was in conflict with and strove against God, ultimately prevailing and persevering, engaging and enduring. Toward the messenger, El Malak, with regard to the one who was sent, the dispatch and representative, the spiritual envoy and the heavenly implement, he was sore, revolting and degenerate while pretending that he had the authority and the right to govern and control, even kill. He acted like Mm. royalty, as if a prince, in seeking to rule over, strenuously opposing and then violently attacking, hacking away at and dismembering. So when he was capable of comprehending what he had overcome while Yaakov. He wept. He cried, saddened by and mourning what he had done. He pled for mercy and for generosity for himself, irrespective of what he had done. Chanan Lahu, he sought ongoing favors and forgiveness for himself as if nothing had happened. It was written in the Hit Pael, imperfect. He discovered and exposed himself at Bethel, Matzah Hugh, and there he spoke to us, the Bar M. Anaknu. Hosha 12.4. This is a tough assessment of Jacob and of Yisrael, mm-hmm. yeah. but it should not be surprising since he was willing to deceive his own father and defraud his brother, doing so cunningly and deliberately, why would anyone expect Jacob to deal differently with God or anyone else? It's hard to imagine a bad baby, but Jacob was insidious before even seeing the light of day, and nothing changed as he grew older, richer, and more influential. He was contentious with God as he was treacherous with his brother. With this review, it becomes apparent that our assessment of Jacob is consistent with Hosha's, especially when this statement is rendered accurately. Akab is decidedly negative, indicating that, an event, that such an individual is fraudulently seeking to outmaneuver an adversary while supplanting and betraying his friends and family. Similarly, Sarah, while afforded the opportunity to convey positive attributes, is typically contentious. Further, Mm -hmm. just as Yisrael grew more rebellious with prosperity, so did Yisrael's forefather. As rough as the preceding verbs have been, both are mild compared to Sur, which is exceptionally awful. It reveals that Jacob's interactions with the Malak were degenerate and revolting. Jacob acted 
as if he were royalty, and had the right to lord over them and demean them. He tried to control them. When that did not work, he attempted to kill them, hacking away at them as if trying to dismember them. His behavior was so egregious. When he finally came to his senses and realized what he had done, he wept bitterly. But even then, it was a contrived temper tantrum designed to solicit pity. Yes, he pled for mercy, and he asked for forgiveness. But based upon the hit pile stem, his plea was irrespective of what he had done. All the while, he continued to seek favors for himself. Also, Hosha's testimony does not suggest that he met with God or heard from God. We find neither Yahweh's name nor his title in Hosha 12.4. All five verbs were ascribed in the third person masculine singular, showing Jacob as the subject, coming mm-hmm. to understand, weeping, pleading for favors, finding himself, and speaking to us. The objects of the concluding verbs were Hugh, himself, with both Chanan and Matzah, and Anaknu, us, with Debar. Therefore, Hosha is confronting what we surmised. Jacob was arguing and wrestling with himself. God was nowhere to be found in the darkness of either nocturnal dream. But you could not discern any of that by reading English translations. The Jewish Publication Society wrote, In the womb, he took his brother by the heel. And by his strength, he strove with a godlike being. (laughs) He strove with a godlike being. It actually says God there. So he strove with an angel. And he prevailed. Uh, <laughs> um, Mismore 91, which was the, uh, the invitation that uh, Yahweh gave 21 years ago in Teruah to start this uh, mission, uh, speaks of, of Malak being deployed to protect us. If the Malak are there to protect us when we engage in God's business, methinks that they must be more influential, stronger, and more capable than we are. They're eternal beings comprised of energy. The very, the, the, mm-hmm. Should you not be aware of Einstein's uh, formula, energy and matter are the same thing, but not the same amount of the same thing. Malak are spiritual beings. Therefore, by comparison to us, they are the speed of light times the speed of light more powerful. You and I, combined with every other human on earth, couldn't arm wrestle one Malak. Not one. Jacob did not prevail against the Malak. Even if he tried to dismember him and behead him and, and... disparage him and lord over him and act like a prince you can't do it a malak does not care what you and I say to them that's not their business they respond to Yahweh period end of conversation 
This is so damn ridiculous. That's the JPS. In the womb, he took his brother by the heel, and they forgot all about what a cob means. Look it up. And by his strength, he strove with a godlike being. Well, that part actually says God. He contended with God. And he strove with an angel, and he prevailed. He wept, and he made supplication to him. At Bethel, he would find him. And there he would speak with us. The literal standard version. Oh, this is a jewel. In the womb, he took his brother by the heel, and his strength, he was a prince with God. No, no contending with God. He was a prince with God. (laughs) Sarah, by the way, (laughs) Sarai meant princess, and so people Uh think that, well, then Sarah must mean uh, uh, princess. Uh, And so... I guess he was transgender, and they just didn't, it wasn't appealing at the time. And so it really, if you want to use Sarah as, uh, in that way, it was, he was a princess with God. <laughs> transgender wasn't popular. You have, you have way too much fun so, doing this. So if they had only known it, they could have been leading edge. They could have been progressive. There you go. Indeed, yeah, could have been indeed he is a prince to the messenger. <laughs> messengers have princes okay oh, all right it. princess whatever <laughs> a lot of insight. And he overcomes by weeping he overcomes by weeping and he I'm makes weeping. supplication to him at bethel he finds uh him and he speaks okay. with us and the he mm. is capitalized in both occasions <laughs> meaning it's god mm. okay for the uh Dying, not a translation. Even in the womb, Jacob struggled with his brother. And when he became a man, he even fought with God. Oh, boy, what a powerful guy he must have been. And he wrestled with an angel, and he won. And he wept, and he pleaded for a blessing from him. From what? From the angel that he beat up? Or with the God that he fought against. When you put it that way. He met God face to face and God really? spoke to him. Huh. Oh. And there ends the reading of the Torah pursuant to Jacob. Oh my I feel dirty. I mean, I just do. It's just so sad to have to present the forefather of Yisrael in such a disastrous light. Terrible light, yeah. Mm-hmm. How, but I'd make how up any, I'd make up any part of this. This is what it says. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, it's, it's important that we deal with it. That's what it says. And it says that for a reason. It was included in this story, not to embarrass God, but to embarrass Israel. Jacob and Israel are synonymous. Every one of those 
dark and reprehensible personality traits would come to be embodied in his sons. So that is the story. Um, and, uh, you know, I don't have a problem if somebody would say, no, I'm not buying it. I, I don't want it to be true. Uh, I, I want to interpret these words somewhere else. Have at it. Yeah. Uh, I've translated the words as completely and accurately as I know how. And I want to tell you, there were places where particularly we rejoined Hosha, where you read, yes. you know, these English Bibles, and it says that when he met with God, and that he wrestled with God, and that he uh, he beat up an angel, and all that kind of stuff, which would contradict what the words actually said as we were translating them, as it was occurring. They are right, then then those words are wrong, and I was wrong. And so when I had to rejoin Hosha, I said, "How in the mm-hmm. world is we're going to work this one out?" Because it seems to contradict everything I've just said. And then I read it. Oh, my goodness. No, that's not. No, those English translations are not right. This, this is not what it says at all. And I don't like to read the English translations. I do sort of like interlinears because an interlinear will kind of help set you up a little is, bit. Yeah, yeah it's, mm-hmm. it's, a, uh, it's just a fast way of, of sort of getting your bearings before you uh, go, because uh, mm-hmm. in Hebrew, you know, uh, subject object verb doesn't always flow. The subject is very often after the verb, not before the verb. Um, and in addition, uh, adjectives and adverbs follow uh, verbs and nouns uh, as opposed to preceding them. Um, and mm-hmm. uh, the uh, pronouns are associated with verbs um, such that uh, the the subject pronoun is incorporated in the verb itself and the object is usually uh, identified independently. Um, and so it's just the, the structure of the language is such that it's always helpful to have a um, uh, an interlinear handy. Uh, so long as you don't take it to heart, because in this case, Literally, yeah. it, uh, yeah. what yeah. Their, inter- their rendering was, even as I was reading Hugh, he, it said God. Mm-hmm. And I was saying, wait a minute, Hugh means himself or he, he or him, doesn't say God. Why are you saying that God was here? Um, God's title and name weren't mentioned. So Hosha was telling us the truth. Hosha presented Jacob as a bum right alongside Ephraim and Yisrael and Yehuda. So his conclusion to setting Jacob up that way is consistent with what he had said. He wasn't contradicting himself. So anyway, that's... uh, that is not the program I thought we were going to bring you this evening. No, uh, what a but, trip, uh, though. What a trip. I was talking to my wife before it. I said, uh, should we just go in, admit that I'd wrong, and uh, and try to correct the record? Because I've been wrong for a very long time on this. And uh, I thought it could be a, a teaching moment for, uh, for Yisrael and for what Yahweh 
has had to work with. Oh, that was a great call. So, anyway, Kirk, sorry to throw this on you at the last uh, minute. Uh, you've got <laughs> no, a uh, you've no, got this a, is a, great. a thirty second no, uh, not... head start on uh, on this material. Oh. Uh, so, uh, but one of the yeah, good thanks, things is I did send you the uh, the chapter as yes, it is written so, so far, at, and you have the opportunity look to look it up and decide. Or you, well, you, maybe you were a little too harsh. So that idea of him uh, needing a pair of cojones, that's pretty graphic. Now, yeah, it was very graphic, so I don't have a problem with it. You know, yeah, it says a lot yeah. of things that are really graphic. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah. I don't see a problem with it. Talks very uh, I, I think it is mm-hmm. uh, literal and uh, allegorical at the same time. Uh, but, mm-hmm. you know, you're, you're free to disagree if uh, you don't want your God Telling a story that uh, that speaks like that, then okay. Um, I've, I've been, I've, I've he been, slapped his side. Yeah, slapped his side. Sure. Yeah. And, or and you can say he, grab, he grabbed his loins and think that that means something else. <laughs> and pushed him out of I, I'm starting to really appreciate Hosha. He's got to be depressed at this point. Everything he's no family and everybody knows. It's like, wow, there's so much is revealed by Hosha, and it's like, wow. Yosha, yeah, Hosha is um, is an acquired taste. Um, yeah. I It was the first book that I translated. I translated it uh, now almost 20 years ago. And hmm. uh, my translations of it were, were not very good. Um, and when I was doing all of the edits and tried to work through <laughs> the uh, – the books. Mm-hmm. There wasn't a lot in Hosha that I was trying to replace, so I didn't redo the translations. I just kind of updated some of the commentary, and and oh mm-hmm. my goodness, did I get it wrong? So, um, but I don't think I could have translated um, this um, accurately. You you really mm-hmm. have to come to have a broader perspective on what troubles Yahweh about Israel and how he will ultimately resolve this and while he is calling his people home. And he, he says, I'm here to help you. And if you want to be restored, I am here. I am your redeemer. Um, but uh, I, there has been radio silence between Yahweh and Yisrael now for, well, <laughs> between 2,500 and 2,800 years. Mm-hmm. And uh, the reason is that... Uh, uh, is Judaism that um, Jews have preferred to be religious over establishing a covenant relationship, and so when you get this blunt, this graphic, this repetitive, um, uh, this hosha um, uh, about it, uh, he drives the point home. It is yeah. it's irrefutable. It is, is as it has been elsewhere, and hosha. He hits you right between the eyes and uh, points a finger right between them and says, now I want you to sit down. It's time for you to shut up. You need to listen. And this story mm-hmm. is not a pretty one. It has a happy ending if you're willing to listen to me. But, oh, my goodness, have you been bad. That's the story. Yeah. All right. So, anyway, thank you for uh, participating. Thank you all for listening out there and uh, on the phone. I know you can still hear us. And for those who listen to the program, uh, live through the uh, the chat room. Um, I wish you a good night. We'll return to our regularly scheduled program this time uh, next week and the uh, the final uh, chapter of the uh, seventh volume of of, uh, of uh, 
<laughs> excuse me, of Yasha, of Yada Yawa. I will tell you that the eight, the seven chapters that precede this one, which we'll get into in mm-hmm. short order, they are really appropriate for our intended audience. They are all directed right at Yisrael and Yahudim, uh, yeah. God's people, and he is telling it like it is. Uh, so if there was ever a revelation that's appropriate for yeah. his people at this time, it's the one we're going to uh, begin here shortly. Yeah. So I wish you all good we're night. And God bless. Time, so yeah. <laughs> yeah. Looking forward yeah. to seeing you next week. Good night, everyone. Okay. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Bye-bye. With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.